2 Corinthians chapter 3, as we continue with our study of the Bibliology Complex, <clears throat> I believe this is part 12, as we are looking into the self-authenticating canon, and if I had to give a subtitle to the subtitle of this message this morning, it would be this. Seeing and savoring Christ in the Word. Reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. And God forbid that you would zone out during the reading of the text. This is so rich. Starting in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 3. The Word of God says, Seeing then that we have such hope, We use great plainness of speech, not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. And that's the state of every religious, natural individual. Nevertheless, when it, the heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, There is liberty, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your precious living word. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would grant by your Spirit, Father, a hearing ear. Father, a heart, Lord, that is prepared, ready, willing to receive your word. Accomplish your purpose. We thank you for it. 
We ask it all in Jesus' name. We are studying bibliology, and that is because ultimately everything that we believe and stake our lives upon and preach to others is contingent upon the authenticity of the Scriptures. And so last week, we asked this question. Can humans possess absolute certainty regarding both the identity of the words of God as well as the doctrinal, historical, and scientific truth that the words of God set forth? And the answer is... If God has promised that we can, then we surely can. And God has so promised. In fact, Jesus said, Thy word is truth. And then he said, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. That ought to be all that is needed to be said. But there is more. It says in Proverbs chapter 22, Have not I written to the excellent things in counsels and knowledge? Why did God write to us that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth? But the question is, how does this dynamic take place in the hearts of men? And the short answer is this, in essence, It is by the Spirit of God bearing witness to the words of God in the hearts of the people of God. You see, because of this glorious dynamic, one can be absolutely certain of the words of God, not because of our faculties, but because of the ministry of the Spirit of God and because of the self authenticating nature of the Word of God. You see, the Scriptures are living. They have intrinsic power to act and effectually work. They create life. They cleanse. They impart wisdom. They strengthen. And they have objective divine qualities by which they identify themselves to the people of God. And that is because inherent in the words of God is a peculiar divine glory, an unmistakable spiritual beauty that shines in and through the Scriptures. And it is seen by all those who have what Paul spoke of in Ephesians 1 and 18. They have the eyes of their understanding enlightened by the Spirit of God. So we're dealing here with certainty regarding the identity and the perfection of the words of God. And that is absolutely crucial to robust Christianity. And praise God, we can have certainty. But the ultimate purpose and the end of faith is not that as Christians, we can merely know that the Bible is certainly true. Consider what the Word of God declares 
right after telling us that God's Spirit would lead us into all truth. It says, how be it, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. Praise God. But it says more. For He shall not speak of Himself. He shall glorify me. For He shall receive of mine and show it unto you. You see, having certainty regarding the Word of God, that's the foundation upon which we then launch out into the true riches and purpose of Christianity, which is to personally behold the glory of God. Thus, I would propose to us this morning that the essential grace of possessing certainty is the means to the ultimate end of faith, beholding the beauty of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who is the theme of the Word of God. And through doing that, to come to know and experience Jesus as one's all-satisfying portion in life. That's the testimony of David, a man after God's own heart, a man who served his generation by the will of God. What was his testimony? One thing I have desired, and that have I sought after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. But tragically, that's not the testimony of most who came in contact with the word of God when it was incarnate upon this earth. Jesus testified. He said, I speak to them in parables because they seeing see not. And hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand. Seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. Why? For this people's heart is waxed gross. Because of that their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. You see, one of the greatest temptations that you and I face here in this house is to be deceived by being content to merely know what is true rather than knowing and savoring the glory of Him who is the truth. Do you see that? Thus, this morning, I want us to briefly consider this essential subject of spiritual perception. You know, the Bible says, where there is no vision, or spiritual perception, the people will perish. 
And spiritual perception or vision is in essence saving faith. That's really what it is. And the scriptures declare that the, 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 the Christian lives by faith. Faith is absolutely essential to this Christian life. The spiritual perception is of the utmost importance. And that is because Christianity is this. I remember years ago, back in that church, over there in Woodville, all praying back there behind the veil, just seeking God. God, what's a good definition of Christianity? And I believe the Spirit of God quickened his heart and revealed unto me, Christianity is simply the life a man cannot help living when he's beholding Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is. Thus Paul speaks of the fight of faith because daily life is merely a battle to maintain that spiritual sight and to keep our eyes on Jesus. Last week I posed the question, is our bibliology really different from Satan's? What a probing question if we're willing to consider it. You think about it. Satan is an astute theologian. And he knows that the King James Bible is God's preserved word. And he knows there's not one single mistake in it, but he's damned. James said, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. But the devils also believe and tremble. Thou believest the King James Bible is God's perfectly preserved word in English. Thou doest well. But the devil believes the same thing. Remember the words of Jesus to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Why? Because thou savorest not the things that be of God. That's a probing and a hard statement if we have ears to hear and to receive that. You know what it means to savor? To see, to taste, or to smell with pleasure and delight. Amen. I don't know if any of you ever eaten a meal with me. Amen. In which the cuisine is is delectable. Amen. You're going to behold me savoring. That meal, amen? Might even hear some, some sounds c- coming from where Brother Charlie is sitting as he savors the meal. You see, this is the touchstone of a man's life right here. Not does he have orthodox doctrine, but does he savor the things of God? You see, to be spiritually minded, his life. Thus, one does not have to savor the things of the world to be under the influence of Satan. All they have to do is possess a heart which does not savor the things of God. And if we can receive it, the application of what Jesus is saying to Peter is if, if you do not savor the things of God, then you are under 
the influence of Satan. Why is that? God the Father spoke for, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Just saying, in Christ is my total delight. Why is that? Because Jesus is the most delightful thing in all of the universe. And if any man is beholding Christ, then that man becomes consumed with Christ. Therefore, if... If we're not delighted in Christ, if we're not consumed with Christ, it's simply because we're not seeing Christ. That's because the devil has veiled our eyes to behold him. But it's our fault that we've allowed him to do it. Yes, sir. Can anyone behold Christ and not be Absolutely not, because to see him is to savor him. Thus, if one does not savor Jesus, they are not seeing Jesus. And if one is not seeing Jesus, they really don't know Jesus. And if one doesn't know Jesus, then according to Jesus, they don't have eternal life abiding in them. This is what Paul was getting at when he says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from beholding the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, according to scriptures, there's a species of faith which has no saving benefit. We can believe that Jesus is Lord. We can believe the King James Bible is God's inspired word in English. We can believe that a man by God's grace can live free for sin, from sin. We can believe and know that the apostate church is not of God, but yet still not know Christ. Not possess saving faith. The Bible says Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him in his fullness, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Then it says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What riches in that passage. As many as received him in his fullness. Not merely just receiving him as their Savior. But the Bible says the kingdom of God is likened unto a treasure which is hid in a field. Which when a man finds it for joy. For joy. Because of the, the beauty. Of the, he's not gritting. I got to go down and steal everything. I got I to give up the world. I gotta, no. Because he's beheld the treasure 
something happens to him. He realizes everything is dung and for glory that he might go back and dig into that treasure box. He forsakes everything. The problem is people want Jesus to be their savior, but they don't want him to be their treasure. They're all satisfying portion in this life. But that's what salvation truly is. Jesus didn't die just to bring us to heaven. He died, as it says in Peter, to bring us unto God. That we can experience the glorious privilege of knowing and beholding him. Jesus said unto them, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. There's the biblical definition of saving faith right there. You know what this verse tells us? He that believes, who's that? It's he that eats and drinks Jesus like a man eats and drinks food and water to live. And all who believe like that, they never hunger or thirst again. They're totally satisfied. Yes, sir. Amen. My daughter Rachel went and bought me a little honey bear yesterday. Oh, I tell you, that's, that's golden. Where's the sun at? Amen. Where's it? Where's it? That's golden glory right there. Oh, I tell you, sweetest substance on earth. Oh, nothing like a fresh, hot, spicy Chick-fil-A biscuit baptized. In this golden glory right here. Amen. But you know what? You know what this is, children? What is this? It's honey, right? You can know that's honey. You can know how the honey is made. You could give me a dissertation on the viscosity. of You know what viscosity is? Yeah, you see, if you've changed your oil... You know what viscosity, the way that, that honey, that thickness, oh, that glorious golden substance. You can even know that it's sweet. And you may have even beheld Brother Charlie at Chick-fil-A enjoying and savoring the sweetness thereof. But if you have never tasted of the honey... You really don't know what honey truly is. And you're not having the relationship with honey that God desires for you to have. You see, honey was not meant to be analyzed or just talked about. It was meant to be tasted and savored in all of its glory. Yes, sir. One of the most common phrases of Christ. He said this, and he said it all the time. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I think God just gave me ears to hear just recently the significance of what he was saying when he said, after he would preach, 
Let him that has ears to hear, let him hear. Why did he say that? Because most people that heard him really didn't hear him. Think about that. Most people that came in contact with Jesus, they never saw the glory of Jesus. Most people who sit in the church this morning and hear the word of God, they're not really hearing what God is saying. That's the reality. That's what religion is. It's a man who knows that Christianity is true and right. But he doesn't savor the beauty of Jesus Christ as his all-sufficient, satisfying portion. That's not because the word is deficient. There's a problem in the heart. We have the three principium, the three foundational truths. God, the principium ascending, the principle of all being. Then there's the principium cognoscendi, the word of God foundation of all knowledge of that God and he's given us not only an objective testimony but he's given us his spirit to illuminate that word that to reveal to these spiritual eyes the glory of God in the face of Christ in that word but there's another essential principium in the beginning God In the beginning, the word, but the beginning of knowledge, the knowledge of that God is the fear of the Lord. And that's the problem. The breakdown is in the heart of man. That's why in our text, there's a veil upon the heart of people that are just really. But the Bible says, if that heart will turn fully to the Lord, then God will supernaturally send forth the light into that darkness and enable that man to behold the glory of God. I call this the principium habitus animus. It's all throughout the scriptures. The Bible says the pure in heart see God. The Bible says the word of God is effectual in those that have a good and honest heart. You see, that's Jesus said my judgment is just. I have right thoughts and I have true perception of reality because I don't seek my will. My heart is set to do his will. Yes, sir. If thine eye or heart be single, then your body, it'll be flooded with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. 
The Bible says when Jesus was in Jerusalem at Passover, it says many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He knew that their hearts weren't really with him. In the book of Acts, Simon the sorcerer, Philly, he's a great man of God. He believed. He was even baptized. But he didn't have a heart for the glory of God. And he said, give me that power so I can lay some hands. In other words, he didn't want to live for the glory of God. He wanted to use God to glorify himself. And what did Philip say to him? Your heart. It's not right. That's the problem. Yes, sir. Judas encountered the same Christ that Peter saw. But Judas never saw the glory of that Christ. Or the testimony of Peter was, Thou art the Christ. Jesus said, flesh and blood. Eyeballs and brains. Hadn't revealed this to you, but my father. He had eyes to see the glory of the Christ man because his heart was right with God. Yes, sir. Oh, I was driving to town on Friday. Just opened up to John 5. Hey, man, just reading, meditating, reading, meditating. I tell you, just it's so rich. It's all right there. Here's Jesus doing Jesus things. Amen. Just doing the will of His Father. Amen. I only do what my Father tells me to do. And here come the religious Pharisees, offended with Him. Why? Because He was violating their traditions. Yes, sir. You know what Jesus said. He said, if you speak of yourself and you're not speaking my word and do my, it's because you seek your own glory. That's the problem. He said, those Pharisees, they were evil, wicked, and adulterous. And you know what he said? He said that they esteemed the praise of man more than the praise of God. And Jesus made a statement. He said, if a man will not seek the glory that comes from God only, that man cannot believe me. That's a bold, narrow statement. Those Pharisees, those religious, wimpy religionists, they come up to you and can't can't everybody up. Do you know what they esteem? Not the glory of God, but the praise of man. You see, they're adulterers and adulteresses, and they're in bed with the praise of man rather than being concerned with the glory of God. You see, this is the foundation right here. If a man doesn't, if he's not content with these two things, I don't care what it looks like in the natural. I'm here to obey him 
so that he's pleased and glorified. And then for a man to say, God owes me nothing. No payback needed. The only thing I'm after in this life is that I might have the privilege of beholding the glory of Christ in his word as I walk with him. That's what Christianity is. And if that's not what makes us tick, then we do not and cannot have saving faith. That's way too long here. Got to sign back in. Perhaps so some of you are thinking, Brother Charlie, being honest, I know I don't really savor the things of God. I don't really know what you're talking about here. What can I do? It's so simple. Your mind, change your behavior, lay aside everything that hinders, and look with all of your heart into the self authenticating Word of God because that Word has intrinsic power to captivate and ravish the heart of every man. That's the power of the Word of God. Richard DeHaan said this. This is terrifying. He said, I don't have spiritual Consider this warning. Many people are not familiar with the symptoms of starvation around the world. At the outset, victims have an insatiable craving for nourishment. As time passes, however, the body weakens, the mind is dulled, and the desire for something to eat wanes. The fact is, when most people reach Serious levels of starvation. They don't even want to eat the food that's placed before them. You see, spiritual starvation follows the same course. If we have been feeding daily on God's word, it's natural to feel hungry when we miss our time with God. But if we continue to neglect it, we will ultimately lose all desire for the word and the things and the presence You know what the testimony of Jeremiah was? He said, Thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. That was his testimony. But he said something before he said that. And you know what it was? 
He said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. You see, when it says they were found, that means he searched for them. And he didn't just crawl over the pages like a caterpillar crawls over the leaf of a plant. He ate the words of God. Do you see? And everyone that follows that pattern, it's impossible that it doesn't happen because you will behold Christ. You will taste of Christ. And you will become enthralled and ravished. Jeremiah said, Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. But what's the atrocity that he's going to inform us of? He didn't say, Be afraid. The heathen are passing their children through the fires to Molech, where there's sodomites in the land. He said, Be astonished at this. You're not going to believe it. But my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, it's, it's so simple. Look at me as a young man. me to set myself apart to fully experience that glory that I'd seen and that sweetness that I'd tasted and I went to my grandfather's farm and I did two things number one separation and number two saturation that's what I did That's, that's all that I did I purposefully and intentionally separated myself from everything in this world. And not merely that which was unlawful, but that which did not tend towards spirituality. And I'm so thankful when I was in that little house in the rolling plains of Wascom. Oh, there, all I had was my altar and my Bible and my books. I didn't have the internet. No, no distractions were even possible. Hey, you separate your thing from everything in this world, those old appetites, they start clamoring. Hey, may not even be wicked, but they just need a a little diversion. Hey, I just need a a little downtime, so to speak. It wasn't even possible. And in that little cabin, the Spirit of God suffered me to hunger and made me to know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but life is in every word of God. 
That's the secret. And, you, and I know we have to work. That's why I chose to be a grass cutter right there. That's it. I wanted an occupation where my mind would be free. Where throughout the day, I could savor and meditate on the things of God. That's ordering your life to know God. And it's so simple. Anyone who follows this simple pattern will behold the glory of God. You know, you read those ten things that anybody can do without any talent. You ever read those, Brother Brian? What's one thing that everybody can do, Brother Brian? Breathe. There you go. That's right. Hey, you know, on that list, be on time. Don't take any talent to be on time, does it? Have a good attitude. Have a good work ethic. Be teachable. Have zeal and passion. These things don't require any talent at all. Just a heart. And if you know this morning, hey, huh? Charlie, I'm really not savoring the things of God. I know there's a dullness in my spirit. I know I'm not ravished with Christ. Well, there's another thing that anybody can do without any talent. You can get down to that altar right there and you can choose to rend the veil on your heart. Anybody can. That's why I don't feel sorry for anybody that doesn't have spiritual hunger and spiritual desire. That's just grace. Who does God give grace to? The humble. Humble yourself. Own what you are. Lay aside every weight. Go on a fast. How about that? Hey, you want to be going fast? Order your life to expose yourself to Jesus and his word and to the people of God. Go to your authority. Ask them for it. You see, you could be there if you wanted to be there. The only reason any of us are not there is because we really don't want it. So, Jesus, this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness because their deeds are evil. I'm not going to the illusions club, Brother Charlie. I'm going to tell you what evil is according to Jesus. If you don't savor the things of God, that's evil. That's the heart of an individual being influenced by Satan. The evil of our passivity. The evil of our independence. That's all evil. Light comes, but because we love our comfort, our independence, our idols, you fill in the blank. We refuse to come into the light. I remember going to Kerrville with Brother Bob, Sister Jackie, to the School of Christ. You know, it's glorious to go to the School of Christ in church, but there ain't nothing like it 
when you go to some compound and you get totally isolated from the world. Ain't no, 24-7. Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the noontime. And Jesus when the sun goes down. And all you're doing is listening to preaching. And you're praying. And you're fasting. And you're seeking God. Oh, you don't realize what's taking place as you are beholding the glory of God and you're being transformed through that self-authenticating word. And midway through that school, for some reason, I had to go into Kerrville to the post office one day. Oh, I didn't realize the grace of God. I didn't realize what had happened in this heart as I separated from that world and saturated myself with a I felt like an alien from another planet oh yes sir that's a reality and you may not be able to do that as you work but each of us can make choices you hear me to lay aside the things that are unprofitable And we can choose to order our daily life to expose ourselves to the presence of God and the word of God and the people of God. Each of us can do. And if anyone in here will do that to the fullness of their ability, they will experience revival. So David said, Will you not revive our hearts that we might rejoice in you? That's what revival is. When this dynamic happens in a bunch of people at the same time, that's what revival is. So as we stand here this morning, I just... We're not changing gears. We're just going a little deeper. Making a spiritual application. That in the midst of studying the the bibliology complex, we understand. We're just laying the foundation for the ultimate purpose. That through the word, we can personally behold and savor the beautiful glory of God person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we do ask, oh God, that you would give us ears to hear. Oh God, what you're speaking, what you have spoken unto us. Father, grant us a heart to do, to practice Lord, a right response to your bountiful provision. We ask you, Father, by your spirit and for your name's sake to accomplish it in each of our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. We'll take a short break and come back for church.